Hello and welcome to the podcast about my upcoming book, Attempting Local. Attempting Local follows my journey as I explore Ireland, surf the waves of the North Atlantic, hike the country's rugged mountains, and travel throughout Europe, all while striving toward a master's degree. It's an extremely honest account of how tough it can be to leave everything behind and move abroad, though it simultaneously demonstrates the beauty of a life of solo travel. Are you a fan of Attempting Local? Make sure to tap that follow button if you listen on Spotify, subscribe if you're on Apple Podcasts, and follow at Attempting Local Podcast on Instagram and Facebook to stay updated on relevant info. If you're feeling extra sweet, leave an awesome review as well. Every little thing you do helps Attempting Local grow to inform and inspire more listeners. Now, enjoy the show. Episode number 14, Turning 24 Abroad, Part 1, Adventure in the American South. Entry number 14, January 27th, 2019, 154 days since moving to Galway. Entry title, 24. My 24th birthday weekend reminded me of a similarly grand couple of days I'd had with Lewis Carson the previous summer. An Englishman and fellow ex-staffer of YMCA Camp Wataya, Lou and I had a two-day adventure in North Carolina and Tennessee. We camped near a lake and whitewater rafted a Class 4 river the next day. In less than a span of 48 hours, we had one of the most memorable mini-adventures of my life. I recount it further in an earlier journal, but seeing as that may never make it to print, I think I'll include the exciting tale here. Before we get to this year's story, let's take a trip back in time. Travel journal number three, North Carolina. Entry number 24, July 4th, 2018. This will probably be remembered as the best 24 hour period of my life, at least so far. On a whim, Lewis and I decided to head off camp it was time to get a break from the hundred or so kids we hosted every week. A camper told me about her special place, Lou said, called Lake Santilla. You know I like to get my tips from locals, so I think we should check it out. He'd said that earlier in the week, but we didn't know the adventure would materialize this weekend. I assumed I'd be working since I had Friday and Saturday off the previous week. When news came that I was free after the 7.45 meeting Friday night, I immediately found Lewis. Let's do it, let's head to Santilla, I offered. Tonight, I'm definitely in. Should we keep it quiet, keep it small? Lewis asked as he eyed around. I've only told Dom about it, but I don't even know if he's coming. Sounds good, buddy, Lewis responded. Should we head to Ingalls, pick up some drinks and snackies? I quickly peeked at the Google map. It's the opposite way, but yeah, we can stock up tonight and be set for the weekend. That was it. We hit the road around 8.40 last night, scoured Ingalls for our needs and wants, then took to the highway and headed west. We arrived around 10 o'clock and found Chioa Point Campground, after a bit of a vehicular stumble through a quiet neighborhood. Our headlamps went on, our hammocks went up, and the tabs on our beer cans snapped open. It still didn't feel quite right without a fire. We neglected to get supplies or firewood, but we had an idea. We placed the empty cardboard beer box in the pit and filled it with sticks and paper. This is a true hobo fire, Lewis giggled. It was fairly ridiculous, but the box lit and quickly engulfed the sticks within. I left Lewis to tend the fire and went in search of more kindling and, 
hopefully some bigger firewood. I emerged from the trees with numerous twigs, sticks, and giant dead roots. We tossed them all in, then took turns finding items to burn. The speed at which the fire grew impressed me, regardless of the fact not everything was dry, and we listened to the hissing and popping of freshly fallen branches. The flames sliced through the darkness quite beautifully. We couldn't stop laughing at the fact our unplanned fire survived, but we were endlessly grateful. We sat and talked until Friday gave way to Saturday, then we meandered to our beds in the trees. Even with the shade of the surrounding leaves, sunlight woke me with a warming touch. I felt rather ill from our exploits of the previous night. It easily took me over an hour before I could walk without feeling the urge to vomit. Once I broke through the headache and cold sweats, the day caught its stride. Lewis and I strolled down to an opening near the lake and went for a long swim. We were tired of treading water after some time but had no desire to get back on land. This is where things got interesting. We had a successful hobo fire the night before, so why not try and build a raft out of driftwood and hammock straps? It sounds absurd, but we actually had full faith in our plan. Plus, the boats that passed were too much a tease of the comfort we craved. We gathered driftwood, then Lou ran back to the Ford Explorer for the straps. We placed eight large logs, most over 10 feet long, under a wooden plank we'd found on shore. We tied the logs to the plank and set off. To describe this in vivid enough detail to recreate the sense of lunacy and hilarity we experienced would take me all night. It's already quite late on this Saturday, and we've only just returned to main camp from our full adventure. I haven't even gotten to Tennessee yet in this entry. Yeah, after all this, we drove from North Carolina to Tennessee. I'll have to elaborate more tomorrow on why, but it truly was remarkable. Good night, journal. Travel journal number three, North Carolina. Entry number 25, July 15th, 2018. I don't have much time to write. Our leadership staff meeting is in less than half an hour. To pick up from yesterday, Lewis and I drifted aimlessly for close to two hours on the unconvincing raft. The wooden plank sat across all the logs that jutted adjacently beneath. It was essentially just a capital H, though vertical lines filled the empty spaces. We tested different positions for comfort. I preferred to lay my arms on the plank, my head resting over top of them, with my feet and legs suspended in the warm water. Lewis would hook his heels on various spots, floating mostly with the air in his lungs. The true test is if you can dive off it, Lou stated while awkwardly clambering on top of the crossbeam. He balanced himself for a moment then dove, the raft immediately elevating thanks to his absence. We realized it was best suited for one. With two, it would suspiciously float just beneath the surface, struggling to hold our weight. A few kayakers gawked and pointed at our unimpressive vessel. They quickly lost interest and paddled away. I rested, still half recovered from the night before. We relaxed and joked and laughed until hunger took over, and we dismantled our raft in the shallows. If it weren't for the hammock straps, we would have left it for the next poor lads that visited Boatless. I would say we then packed up, but we actually just tossed everything in the back of my Explorer and drove off. Once again, the weekend had destroyed my car's interior. 
Subway filled our bellies, then I had a thought. The food cured me and seemed to allow full function back to my brain. I don't think we're far from Tennessee. We should be really close to the border, I said. Would you want to check it out? I know you were saying you'd never been. That would be alright, Lewis agreed. We could take a little drive. Could we stop at Akoe or Akoa? A kayaker on the Nanahala River told me it was the next step up for whitewater rafting. I'm all in, I responded, typing the name on my phone for directions. After a bit of a search, I found the name was actually Akoe, and I selected Akoe Rafting at random as our destination. We wound our way through over an hour of mountain roads and arrived just before 3.30pm. Lewis and I inquired about getting on the river and what the cost would be. Well, I think we can squeeze you two on, the receptionist began. You made it just in time. Our last trip begins its orientation in about five minutes. Make sure to grab a PFD, a paddle, and a helmet. Yes, helmets are required on the Akoi, she concluded after noticing the questioning look on my face. Could we do a double ducky? I see a couple out in the car park, Lewis inquired. A double ducky, by the way, is just a two-person inflatable raft. This is a class three, class four river. No commercial outfitter will let you go in anything but a six-man raft. Her words said enough about the intensity of the river we would soon traverse. They surged feelings of both excitement and hesitation within each of us. Nonetheless, I knew I was ready to upgrade and test my skills after rafting the Nanahala nearly a dozen times, most of them this summer. I never believed whitewater rafting would be a sport I'd be so inclined to until recently, but I'm glad to have picked it up as a hobby. This outing would make or break that interest. We geared up, met our guide Trent, and boarded the long blue bus. Upon arrival, our six-person crew listened eagerly to Trent's instructions. He, in all senses, seemed fitting as a raft guide. His long, tangled hair met his thin but muscular frame, and his laid-back attitude complemented his style. After a decent amount of preparation, we lifted the boat as a team and moved it into the launch. The launch site was located just below a gushing dam, and the first rapids, probably class 3, were immediate. Have any of you done this before? Trent hollered from the back. Yeah, we run the Nanahala pretty often, I replied. We can take the front. The crew agreed. We entered the vessel, and we pushed off into the river. I was feeling just a bit too cocky, and I simultaneously ate my words and swallowed my pride by falling clean out on the first rapids. Trent leapt into action, pulling me back in by my shoulder straps. You lost one already, Trent? Another guide shouted mockingly from the boat behind. I swiftly realized the Akoe was not the Nanahala, and the Akoe was happy to fight against our raft. The rapids were longer, more technical, the holes were larger, and rocks pierced menacingly through the water's surface, some four or five feet high. The latter fact is what rattled Lewis's nerves. He disagreed with the number of boulders that the river may have crushed us against if we fell in. Entrapment was a tangible concern as well. Names like Table Saw for One Rapid and Widowmaker for One Figure Eight Hydraulic were equal parts worrying and thrilling. From there on out though, we were fully invested. I learned from my early blunder and we continued with more attentiveness. The rapids we encountered were so immense and enjoyable compared to anything I'd experienced before. I felt truly alive because of that. We had a lot of fun, but always had one eye on the pesky water that surrounded us. Sometimes we'd lose focus, joke too much, and more than once did we get caught in a bad spot as a result. In one instance, we swung around, hooked by a massive boulder, and had to bounce and sway for any hope of dislodging the raft. 
It took well over a minute and a half before we escaped the rock's clutch. Our worst mishap came not long after. Our raft hit a rapid incorrectly and again spun round, but instead of our boat being completely atop a rock, only the back was, and the front sank under the weight of the small yet powerful falls. Lewis and I were slammed by a wall of water, and then those in the back received the same punishment. One of the girls in the back was hit so hard that she was knocked from the boat and her nose ring was nearly ripped out. Trent speedily pulled her back in, her nose red from the blood that covered the piercing. Water continually rushed into our boat, clearly unbothered by our presence. Everybody in the back of the raft, Trent commanded. Because the boat spun 180 degrees, our front seats had become the back. We need to relieve weight off the rock. His words were almost completely muffled by the roaring of the river, but we did as our leader said, and after some time, we found ourselves floating cheerily again down the Ekoe. The rest of the rapids were rough, some even bigger than those we'd seen, but were manageable. We only slipped out again when Trent purposefully tossed us. Table saw was my personal favorite. There were two technical rapids that seriously ramped up the adrenaline. That portion was long and the holes were huge. Waves towered over us, then showered Lewis and me. All in all, the adventure was an unimaginable one that I'll never cease to remember and one I'll always love to recount. So Lewis, if you're listening, I just wanted to say thanks for the memories, man. That is still to this day one of my all-time favorite trips, and I just had to give you a shout out because, you know, you are one of my favorite adventure buddies, along with others, and they definitely know who they are. But that trip was was so cool and so spontaneous and just wonderfully exciting. So thank you again for always being down to do anything like that at a moment's notice. You truly are an absolutely wild man. <laughs> Hey everyone, I'm Cullen. Thank you for listening to episode number 14 of my upcoming book, Attempting Local. Yes, this is part one of my 24th birthday story. I know I went back in time, but we'll be coming back to Ireland in the next episode, and you'll be traveling all around with my buddy Max and me, and that is one of my favorite stories from my time abroad. We went to Sleeve League, Donegal, we surfed in La Hinch, and it's just, it's really, really exciting. I know he's waiting for it, so I can't wait to get there. Anyway, I hope you're looking forward to part two of this episode. This novel took over two years to create, from the idea's inception to editing this final version. The endeavor first required about eight months of planning, applying, and test taking just to get accepted and then to prepare for university in Galway. I then worked through an arduous year-long accelerated master's program, all while traveling and experiencing the country, just to keep an entertaining and detailed, handwritten journal to share with others. Lastly, I had to transcribe all four physical journals onto my laptop, edit, re-edit, send to my editor Sarah, and send to publishers. And I'm still currently sending submissions in. This process has taken an immense amount of time and money, and I'm still working on the attempting local project. All I ask is, if you're passionate about this podcast, desire the information it provides, or just look forward to the fun listening experience that it offers, please go ahead and support it. Simply head to anchor.fm forward slash Cullen dash McNamara, or visit patreon.com forward slash Cullen Mac. Your help and support will go a long way in keeping this podcast up and running. You'll fuel my ability to create and share this beautiful and timely piece of work with all of you. 
and hopefully one day this will finally get published in print. So thank you again and enjoy listening to Attempting Local A Year Abroad in Galway, Ireland.